On today's episode, we know brand awareness is important, but are you going too far? Plus, sports raise $50 million, by the way, of The Athletic. And an urban electric vehicle company with a waiting list? That's what's up today on Recur Now. From ProfitWell's Boston HQ, it's Friday, January 24th. I'm Grace Gagnon. I'm still James Herrick. And I'm Abby Sullivan. It is a beautiful day to subscribe. First up, your news. We know the idea of, quote, brand awareness has been this sort of buzzworthy, industry-trending topic. Yep, there is a huge surge in the content marketing sphere, and we're on board with it, plus social media madness and competing for eye-catching, compelling ad space. But since marketers today have nearly all the same tools at their disposal, there's a glaring issue here. Wistia, the video software platform we know and love, reminds us that businesses have focused so much on making people aware that they exist that they've lost sight of what matters most, getting people to actually like your brand. So they dropped a blog post all about the common problems that marketers face when focused too much on brand affinity. Which, honestly, Abby, is kind of wild because Wistia, they are the brand affinity masters. Wistia defines brand affinity as quote, the most enduring and valuable level of a relationship between a business and consumer based on the mutual belief that they share common values. And that's really what caught my attention with this one. So here's where we need to steer clear. First up, stop measuring your success by vanity metrics like views and likes on your videos, for example. They could point you in the wrong direction because those measurements aren't actually telling if whether a person is loyal to your brand or not. And number two, your efforts don't necessarily convert to revenue. Traffic and impressions don't always equate to resonance, and they certainly don't guarantee more revenue. Here's a harsh example. The team over at Wistia once spent $2 million on an ad campaign that featured some of their most creative work to date, they say. With 43 million impressions, it certainly seemed like a successful campaign. But once they dug deeper into the data, they found out that their campaign generated the same amount of web traffic as a reasonably successful blog post. It converted minimal leads and generated barely any business. And finally, traditional tactics are getting more expensive and less effective. As of this past year, Wistia reports, more than 25% of internet users in the United States used ad-blocking apps on their devices to help put an end to the noise. So what should you do instead? Focus on resonance over reach. Brand awareness is just one piece of a much bigger puzzle. Getting people to have affinity for your brand, in other words, actually recommend your products or services to their friends, is a much more worthy investment for your 2020. We'll be sure to link to a ton of resources here in your subscriber newsletter. From Wistia's brand affinity playbook to our very own reports on content marketing, backed by the data from 10,000 different blogs and 1,000 subscription companies. And now let's talk sports. Are you sure you're the right person to do that, Abby? Well, normally I am absolutely not. But this one is really about the journalistic aspect of sports and its subsequent fandom. All right, let me hear it. The Athletic, a subscription-based digital sports media company, has officially raised $50 million in Series D funding, led by Bedrock Capital, and is now apparently valued at about $500 million after this new raise. Eric Stromberg, the founder and managing partner at Bedrock, says the success of The Athletic has so far played a very strong role in bending the narrative of ad-supported media business models to subscription-based models, which are much more aligned with 
it benefits the end customer. And that's exactly why we care about this. Because now The Athletic is considered an anomaly in digital media upstarts because it's focused on subscription revenue rather than advertising revenue. It's been able to grow its subscriber base rapidly, especially overseas, while retaining existing customers. The Athletic's strategy for the past three years has been to hire top talent sports journalists in local markets and to get people to pay for high-quality journalism content. So this one proves what we've been preaching all along. People will pay for quality. Subscription content alive and thriving. And now we go canoeing with Canoe's electric vehicle subscription service. Although not so fast, because apparently there's a wait list. From its beginnings in 2017, Canoe knew it wanted to be an urban electric vehicle company, offering an all-new pod-shaped EV to its subscription-only model, which forgoes sales or traditional leases in favor for a simple recurring payment that allows anyone to get into a Canoe vehicle for as long or as short as they really like. And the Canoe team just announced something called the first wave. Yet another way it plans to shine apart from the growing field of electric mobility companies. The waitlist is free and open to anyone and includes a gamification angle that other startups and traditional automakers haven't yet messed around with. With the first wave, people who sign up will be responsible for finishing various tasks like completing surveys and making successful referrals. And with referrals, you'll take away prizes like a Canoe hoodie or design book. When Canoe actually launches its first subscription EVs, something that is currently scheduled for 2021 in LA, and it's going to be followed by other West Coast cities, whoever has the most points will get the first subscription. And this is truly a genius idea. What's better than a classic word of mouth referral and brand loyalty right off the bat? Not a lot, I'd say. And that's a wrap on your January 24th subscription news. Up next, wisdom from Wistia co-founder Brendan Schwartz. Obviously, there's so much that you don't know or that we still don't know. I think in our worst moments, we would always ask ourselves, especially when we started, like when people would say, hey, like this is how you structure this deal or this is how you do this thing. We'd have a funny feeling about this doesn't feel right. I feel like we spent so much time learning to trust our instincts. Looking back, big mistakes that we've made have been when we've ventured away from that and tried to pretend to be something that we're not. One thing that was really funny to look back on, and it was not funny at the time, of course, when we raised a first round of angel money, all of a sudden, we were, we were doing a lot of things right before that. We were really lean and scrappy. We were signing up customers. We were doing sales in person. We were iterating on the product and just going to talk to people. What do you need? Okay, we'll build this. This is right. And things were working pretty well. And then suddenly when we raised that money and we brought on two other people that we were working with, we we're like, now we're a real business. Like, And so we started doing all these we were, I don't know, we say we were playing office, but we were just mimicking yeah. things that we thought real businesses should do. We got an office and then Chris and I would dress up in business casual. Yeah. I don't know why. I mean, that's obviously not the reason that they're working with us. Sure, it has nothing sure, to do yeah. with it. We also, early on, we didn't have, when we raised that money, we didn't have a formal board. We talked to the investors and they said, oh, it'd be really, you know, you guys should do mock board meetings almost. And we started doing them and they were kind of helpful at first, but then we fell in this weird trap where we were like, any big decision needs to happen in this. We'd be talking with some people who wouldn't even have the day-to-day context of the business and they're like, why are you asking us this? Yeah, and finally, after a few months of that, we were like, oh my God, what are we doing? And then just 
dissolved, we, we kind of swung the pendulum the other way and we we're like, we need to make these decisions as they come up. And then that, that was, felt really good because it felt again, like we were in direct control and we could do, the four of us would decide what is right for the business because we're the people who are in it. And finally, a teaser for our brand new series, RevOps and Hops. Head to RevOpsAndHops.com for early access. We're breaking down RevOps with some of the biggest names in SaaS. Every week, Patrick Campbell and Michael Klett unravel the mysteries of RevOps. I spend all my time thinking about revenue operations. While also enjoying some of the best and freshest hops around. All of this and more on Chargeify and ProfitWell's RevOps and Hops. And that's it for your January 24th episode of Recur Now. Remember, this show is for you. So don't hesitate to reach out to me at abby at recurnow.com if you have news to spread or input on any topic we cover.